Mitch has already done it, so he stole my thunder, but I don't think that, <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't think that we can overdo this, really. We live, you, you all, I mean, technology today gives us the ability to see, to get snapshots of what's going on around the world. And I realize that our country is probably in a state um, that it's not seen maybe in the history of our country in terms of us being on the, you know, the heel, on, the, on the cusp of civic unrest and all those things. But man, man, oh man, I would not want to live in any other country in the world right now. We live in the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest military force on, on the planet. And it'd be remiss of me if I didn't take the time right now to, to just say that we enjoy freedom because of those who paid the ultimate price in defense of our country. Those lives that we can't get back. And so I want you to be mindful this weekend that even though it's a day off for, for most of us and it's a time of celebration, it really is a time of reflection as well and thanksgiving for us to reflect back on the ultimate sacrifice paid by many who served in our armed forces, given their lives in defense of our country. Amen? So now I want to do something else because, because I think it deserves it. I'm a prior military guy. Spent 20 years, one day, three hours, and 15 minutes in the military. Yeah, I got it down. Um, I'm retired now. And those of you who've been around me for, for any period of time outside of here, I rarely, rare is the occasion where I let someone get by me who's serving in the military that I don't thank them for their service. And so I know we have a few military members in here today. If you are currently serving in the armed forces, will you stand to your feet right now? We want to give you a round of thanks. Amen? Tyler, thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Thank you guys for serving. I sleep better at night knowing you guys are on the wall. I'm not joking either, I do. Yeah. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where Rob left off last week in Colossians. So I want you to join me in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. As I studied this text, and I realized it was Memorial Weekend, there are so many parallels in this text to warfare, military warfare, and spiritual warfare. It's implicit in this text. But I'm not going there today. I'm not going to talk about spiritual warfare much. I am going to talk about it some. But it's, it's, it's implicit in this text. And so, um, so keep that in mind. Begin at verse 24 where, where Rob left off. And by the way, Rob, I, I've told you this, man. You did a great job at handling the text over the last couple of weeks. Paul writes this. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. <laughs> to them, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Everybody say everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, everybody say everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. May the Lord bless the reader and hearer and doer of his word. In, this, in the first part of our text here, the Apostle Paul talks about suffering and rejoicing. And if you know the story of Paul, you know that he's not a stranger to, to suffering and rejoicing. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote this letter from a Roman jail cell. He was sitting in a jail cell. Prior to this letter, Paul had written a letter to, to the church in Corinth, and he had given them some details about some of the things that he had suffered and some of the things that he has endured um, up to that point as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just want to read just a blip of that, just an excerpt of that. I think I, um, I, think I put it in your, on the screen too as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 24, Paul says, and these is, he's talked about some of the things that he has had to endure, some of the suffering. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, 39 lashes. These weren't like little spanking lashes. These are, I mean, these, these were heavy, heavy lashes with a rod, right? Once I was stoned. He wasn't talking about marijuana either. I'm just saying. Man, can you imagine being stoned, having people throw rocks at you on purpose? in an attempt to kill you. He said, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from, from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Danger, danger, danger. He said, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now listen to this. And apart from, from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That brother's saying, listen, I understand suffering for the church, for the sake of ministry. Now by the time Paul wrote the letter that went to the church of Colossus, which, which, which Rob mentioned last week as well, that this letter wasn't just written to the church in Coloss or Colossae. You're going to hear me use those changes, those terms interchangeably. This wasn't just written to them. This was a circular letter designed to go to all the churches in the region, 
We're going to take a look at one of those churches next week, the church in, in Laodicea. And, and when he wrote this, he wrote this five to seven years after he wrote the second epistle or the second book, the second letter to the church in Corinth. So he had even endured even more highs and lows in ministry, intense times and extreme times of highs and lows, times of immense joy, intense sorrow. I believe that if the Apostle Paul was here today, because Paul liked to speak metaphorically a lot, I believe if the Apostle Paul was here today, he'd say that life, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is like being on a roller coaster ride or a thrill ride. You ever been on a thrill ride before? How many of you have been on a thrill ride before? Yeah? Two people. Anybody ever been on a roller coaster? Slingshot, one of those things? Anybody been on that slingshot? You guys, woo! Y'all some brave individuals, man. You know, as I was working on this sermon, I, I have this video clip I'm going to show you in a couple minutes. This, this video clip, I love it because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's really good, you'll see. But I was out on, on the web Googling people that take thrill rides, and my gosh, there's, I mean, it's hilarious. It's hysterical, some of the things you see. I love the ones, especially with the guys that are, you know, they, they're in there with, and they, they, they go to the ride, and they're trying to be all macho, and they got their lady beside them, you know. Especially that slingshot one. Man, I saw so many, so many like this with the slingshot. The guy steps up, you know, he's all macho, and she's like, are you ready for this? He's like, baby, I got this, I got this, right? And that thing goes down like this, and boom, projects him up, and the girl, the woman's screaming, ah! Right? And the guy is screaming louder than the girl. Ah! Ah! But this is the part I love. This is the part I love. Ah! <laughs> and they just faint, man. And they're just going all the way. And then I love the part where they wake up and they don't know where they are. Ah! Ah! Look, one guy fainted five times, man. It was hilarious, right? <laughs> Man, I just, I, I just, I love that. But here's the thing about a thrill ride. I don't want you to miss this. Up to the point, up to the point where, where you step into the ride, you can make whatever decision you want. You see, I took for, for a topic today, it's my turn. Everybody say, it's my turn. And I want you to do something. I want you to turn to the person next to you. If you're down next to somebody, turn to the person behind you and look them in the face and say, it's my turn. Yeah. 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 So, so up until the point where you Step in because it's your turn. You can make whatever decision you want. But once you sit in that chair and that seatbelt snaps in and that deal comes over your shoulder and you're locked in, you are in for the ride. Right? I love this next video clip, man. Because... Uh, it's a, it's a three and a half minute thrill ride with a father and, and her daughter and his daughter. 
And in this clip, we, I had Nate intentionally bleep out a, a cuss word because you could tell that this mild-mannered cat was at his, he was at his end. He didn't know what else to say, and he got embarrassed when he said it because his daughter was sitting there. But this, listen, this is, this is so indicative of our life. I'm going to give myself away. Go ahead and roll the clip. Isn't that great? Never again, never again, Grace Elizabeth, he said. Yeah, the first time, the first time, never again. Man, what a great picture of ministry. What a great picture of ministry. Being a minister of, of the gospel is a lot like being on a thrill ride, man. And I said earlier, you know, you know, there are some thrill rides like the slingshot that people, like, they get up there and they faint. Ministry, man, ministry is not for the faint of heart. I'm going to tell you something. In ministry, there's, there's times of extreme highs and extreme lows. There's, there's times of, of great joy, but then there are times of, of suffering and sorrow. And suffering and sorrow in ministry is inevitable, family. It's part of the journey. I love what Paul said to Timothy in, verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. Everyone. It's part of the journey. And listen, just like the guy in the video, you'll say, there'll be times that you'll say to yourself, had I known that it would be like this, I wouldn't have jumped in this ride. Yeah. There'll be times when you promise yourself, God, when I finish ministering to this person or getting out of this ministry situation, I will never do it again. You will. Never again, Grace Elizabeth. Huh. But then just like the father in the video and the gate attendant came up to him and said, you know, we got it. We're getting ready to do this again. He's like, we're getting ready to do it again. He's like, freaking, he turned around, slapped the person in the back, high five, right? Once you come out victorious over a trial, once you persevere through pain and sorrow that comes in ministry, once you get to the other side of that test, temptation, or struggle, you'll come out on the other end completely satisfied that God is able to do what he said that he would do, and that is be right there in the side seat with you everywhere you go, and whatever you do, he's always there. He promised that he would be, and he's a God that's big enough and bad enough to keep his promises. Amen? Man. Joy and sorrow. Joy and suffering. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, I'm going to turn there real quick. You don't have to turn there, but, or you can if you want. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul, Paul gives, Paul's life was amazing. And this passage gives us a, a clear depiction of what it's like to have joy in suffering. Paul and Silas, Paul's, Paul's running mate, had, uh, they'd walked into the city, I believe it's in Philippi, and they had been ministering the gospel, and they walked out, and as, as they were walking from the place of prayer, I believe, there was this girl who was, who was possessed with the demon of divination. In other words, she had the ability to foretell someone's future. 
And so, you know, she came up and she's following Paul and Silas around, you know, proclaiming these are the children of the Most High God. And, I mean, she was badgering them. So Paul and Silas cast that devil out of them, out of her, right? So subsequently what happened is the people that employed her lost a whole lot of money, right? Everybody say, stay on track, Pastor. Okay, I will. I'll stay on track. Thank you for that word of encouragement. So, so what happens is these people concoct some lies. They throw Paul and Silas into prison. Watch what happens in verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, remember, Roman jailers, if you got out of their custody, they would crucify you, make a spectacle of you in front of everyone. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, everybody say midnight. You know, sometimes in your midnight hours when God will show up if you're praising. Sometimes when it seems like things is the worst, if you, are the worst, if you'll just praise God through that thing, you'll see victory on, this, on the other side. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Ooh, ooh. Someone's always watching our lives. As followers of Jesus, we live in the fishbowl, man. The moment you tell someone, Pauline, that, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, they're watching your life. They're listening to your conversation. As these people in prison, they were listening to Paul and Silas sing. <laughs> and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and all the doors were open and the jailer got scared for his life, took a knife, was about to kill himself, and Paul said, no, 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 we're all here. We're all here. And in the midst of his prison experience, Paul had an opportunity to minister life to that jailer, him and his family. Why is that important? Because Paul says, listen, I want you to know that I understand what suffering is all about and that I've suffered for your sake. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, listen, I have a part to play and I'm going to play my role. I'm going to do my part just like Jesus did his part. And I choose, it is my choice to sit in that seat to be a partaker of his suffering. It's my choice to pick up where he left off. It's my turn. That's what he's saying. Now, let me be clear here, clear here because, because Paul didn't suffer redemptively, right? Only Jesus did that. Jesus, the finished work of Christ on the cross was a completion of the redemption that was needed for all humanity for all time, once and for all. That's what Christ did. But Paul says here, listen, he says, I want to be a reflection of his suffering and of his triumph. Remember last week, Rob, Rob talked about being, uh, Jesus being a reflection, the, the mere image of, of God. Remember that back in, uh, I think it was uh, verse, verse 15. Verse 15 and then verse 19 and 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
And now drop down to verse 19. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, Paul was saying, listen, I know that I don't have to pay the atoning sacrifice for Jesus, uh, that Jesus paid. I know that. But here's what I want you to see. When I see myself, when I look at myself in the mirror, I want, I want to see Jesus more and more. And when you look at me, I want to be the mirror that reflects his image of both suffering and triumph. Are you guys with me? Yeah, that's what Paul was saying. Listen, I don't know when it was, probably the, the 80s. Michael Jackson wrote this song. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Y'all remember that? Yeah, he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Don't get lost on who, who wrote the words. Listen to the words. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the change. That's what Paul was saying here, man. He's saying, listen, I'm looking at myself I'm looking at what Jesus has called me to do. My assignment, my call is to reveal the mystery that has been hidden through all of the ages and through all the generations to this age and this generation in a way that's relevant for all the future ages and generations to come. So Paul says, that's my assignment. Did you know that it was always God's plan to unite the Jews and the Gentiles as one under him? Did you know that? From the very, very beginning, I think it was three weeks ago, I, it was two weeks ago, on Mother's Day, I talked about um, uh, the, the pronunciation of the punishment of Satan and, and, and the serpent, and God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to cause there to be an enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, that you, you will bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Remember that? It wasn't just to the Jews, it's to all the children of Adam. And then you follow that up a little later when God calls Abraham, Here's what he tells Abraham. He said, listen, listen. He said, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to make a people unto myself. He said, and then, watch this now, through you all of the nations of the world will be blessed. It was God's plan all along to unite his people under one umbrella under him. So Paul says, this is my call. This is my task is to open the door and to proclaim the gospel, not just to the Jews, because here's the mystery. It's to proclaim the gospel to all people, not just a select few. To the Jew and to the Gentile. That the truth of the gospel is for everyone to whom God chooses to reveal it to. Here's the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is alive in you. That he's alive in you. That you are the hope of his glory both Jew and Gentile alike. I believe in this text, Paul turns the corner here. I think up to this point, Paul is speaking primarily to the Judeo-Christians in the church. I believe that Paul is, is telling the Judeo-Christians and instructing them how they should act and how they should behave with one another and embrace and how they should embrace those who are Gentiles. But now I believe Paul is talking, he's turned the corner, he's talking to the Gentiles now. He's saying, listen, I'm calling out all the people of God. 
I'm calling on not just Jew, but Gentile alike to be a reflection of the hope of the glory of God in this world, Christ in you, the hope of his glory. That's what he's saying. He says, and you're responsible to take this revealed truth to every single person on the planet. We're to teach every person through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit the truth that they need to grow to full maturity. Everybody say full maturity. Full maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying to the church. So now you may ask me, Pastor Greg, how is this applicable for me today? I think this text today, Paul is, in this text, Paul is calling us out now. I believe Paul is saying, hey, listen, man, it's your turn. It's your turn, Tammy. It's your turn, Mitch and Pelzetta and Jack. It's your turn, Rob, Sarah, Zach, Katie. It's your turn. It's your turn, Gloria. It's your turn, Sebastian, Kathy. It's my turn. It's our turn. It's our turn, but it's not about us. It's our turn, but it's not about us. Paul says it's for the sake of others. So that's what Paul says. It's for the sake of others. Jesus makes this statement. He says, if a man's going to follow me, and woman too, you're going to have to first deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That means you got to surrender. You have to be willing to step outside of yourself to do your part. And then he says, it's for the sake of Christ's church. Paul says, listen, I, I realized that in my time I was the next man up and I willfully gave myself fully to the growth of the church. You need to, too. He says, I promise you as a minister of the gospel, you're going to be on a thrill ride, but you got to be willing to strap in. Let me tell you something. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm cheat a little bit because I don't want some of you to, to, to zone out on me. How many followers of Christ in the house? You are a minister of the gospel. Okay. Rob talked about up, in, and out a couple weeks ago. I love up, in, and out. You know how Paul knew and was confident in his calling? He says, man, because I heard from God in my up. I've been hanging out with Jesus in my private time. He says, and I've been hanging out with other believers in my end, those in the church on the same spiritual trajectory as me, those that I can pull, that I can reach down and pull because they're less mature, and those that I can look to who are more mature on this journey with me. I, I've learned how to surround myself with good and godly people, godly believers in my end. He says, and then I've come to understand that I'm a minister of the gospel to his church, the universal church, and I get to do it in his power that's at work in me. He's calling me out. He's calling you out. Here's a key statement I want you to take home with you. True Christianity is much less about our biology. You don't have to be born a Jew. Theology or doxology or doctrinal standards as much as it is about an intimate relationship with Jesus and others. Because here's the truth. When we establish an intimate relationship with Jesus and others in the church, in the body of Christ, we will grow strong and mature. 
and we will be good, strong, seasoned followers of Jesus. Amen? All right. Second thing I got from this text is we are carriers of the glory of God. We're responsible to live out the gospel, to flesh out the gospel. We're responsible to live out the gospel with each other. We're responsible to live out the gospel in our private time. We're responsible to live out the gospel so that people in the world can see the hope that lies within us. We're responsible to be, we're responsible for the spiritual growth of others. Paul tells us in this text, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to exhort each other and to warn each other to be aware of the traps of Satan. I can't tell you how many followers of Jesus, how many close followers of Jesus, seasoned followers of Jesus that I've talked to over the last couple months. And all of them have said to me, man, there's so much stuff out there now that is supposed to be from the church and of God that if you are not careful, the Bible says if he would fool the very elect in the last days, I mean, some of this stuff is so close to what I believe until you stop and analyze it against the Scripture. Amen? Any one of us can get out of calibration, and we're responsible to make sure that we grow together. The phase everyone, Paul uses, that's his phase three times in verse 28. And here's the emphasis here, is that the goal of the church, God's goal for every church is, is for every believer, every follower of Christ to be a mature follower of Christ. Here's what that word, that term, that Greek word means here, mature. It means whole, complete, fully equipped for the assigned task. That's what it means. We're responsible to make sure that we're sharpening each other in that way. And we're responsible for our own spiritual maturity. We need to be accountable to others for our spiritual growth, family. I don't know anything that grows real well in isolation except a mushroom. I'm just saying. Any mushrooms are now? How come nobody raised their hand on that one? No, it's a mushroom. No, we're, we're, we were never meant to be in isolation, man. And so we can't, we can't just, like a, just like we can't grow into anything except for maybe a mushroom in isolation, we're, we have to be with other followers of Jesus Christ if we expect to grow to spiritual maturity. Hmm. We need others in our life to grow to the place where we're able to see God working miraculously and powerfully in our lives. I don't know why the Lord had me say this earlier. It's not even in my notes. Jesus makes this statement in the Gospels. He says, it's impossible that offenses won't come. Then he says, woe unto them through which the offense comes. It's a better for them to have a millstone tied about their neck to be tossed into the depths of the sea. Isn't that what the scripture says? Watch this. Jesus was talking to church folk. And here's my point. As a minister of the gospel, you are going to get hurt. 
And the majority of the hurt and the most deepest wounds often will come from the place that you least expected, and that's the church. It is going to happen. It's going to. Jesus said it. But that should never stop us from from establishing intimate relationship with others in the body of Christ. Amen? I just thought about this. Jesus chose his 12. He chose Judas knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Okay. My last point, and we'll be getting out of here. Everybody say, it's your turn. Yeah. Every member, a mature minister. That's what Paul is seeking for here in this text. Every member, a mature minister. Look what he says in verse 29. For this I toil, I agonize. That's what that word means. Struggling with all his energy. Everybody say, his energy. His energy that he works powerfully within me. His his energy. And here's here's the truth. It's his power that's at work mightily in in us. It's God's power, not our own, that energizes us for ministry, that keeps us strong in ministry. We cannot minister in our own strength and, and and, and expect to be effective Efficient, consistent, and enduring. You can't. So Paul tells us, he says, listen, man, don't feel sorry for me, man. This is my calling. And as I said earlier today, earlier, this text is calling us out. What are you called to do? What has God called you to do? This this text beckons us to purpose. What has God sent you to do on this earth, in this body that he's given you? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every gift is possessed within the body, and you have a gift to bring. I love this church because there's so many diverse gifts here in this church. And what I love about it is that we recognize we're all on the same journey, but there's a diversity of gifts within this body that makes us whole. The body of Christ is complete as each person brings their gift and each one does its work. Yeah? (laughs) Everyone is a minister, to minister to maturity. All of us are on the same ride. All of us are on the same ride. And, and listen, listen, Jack, you might be at that point, you might be on that ride, and that thing is like, it's like rocking your world, and you just faint. <laughs> I'll just, wake up, Jack! No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. You know? 
I might be on the point of the journey and the ride where I'm just freaking out, man. How many of you know the pastor can freak out? And I might need you to come alongside me and just be by my side and say, man, we're in this together, pastor. We're on this ride together. Iron sharpens iron, man. Yeah? You must leave you alone, Amanda. I know. <laughs> I might be down, man. I might be down. But every time I see Amanda come in and smile, man, it just lifts my spirits. I might need you one day just to come in and just smile. Listen, we all, that my point, my point, don't miss my point, man. We all have something unique that we bring to the body of Christ that makes us whole. And we all are ministers. Ministry is heavy. We're supposed to be here for each other. Amen? All right. I want to leave you with this question. Have you answered your call to ministry? What is God calling you to? What has he called you to that no matter what you, how, how fast and how hard you try to run, that thing meets you wherever you stop? What are you called to? What is God saying to you about that? I want you to be able to, to say what Paul said at the conclusion of his journey here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, at verse 6, he says, listen, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. You can come to the panel, Miss, if you would. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only for me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If Jesus Christ has appeared to you and has revealed himself to you, has chosen you, I want you to be in the same position to be able to say the thing that Paul said here in this text. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've done what I was called to do. It's your turn. What will you do with it? 